Welcome to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We want to be a place where you can own your faith and take next steps in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe your next step is to seek out a community and join a movement group. Maybe it's supporting movement financially for the first time or using your gifts on a volunteer team. Whatever God is calling you to do, our prayer is that you will step out in faith and let Him lead you. For more information about your next step, please visit movementcolumbus.com. This is what we're moving toward this morning. The big idea is that in God's kingdom, we choose to make ourselves vulnerable so that others can be saved. In God's kingdom, we choose to make ourselves vulnerable so that others can be saved. And some of you already are feeling like a little bit twitchy in your seat because you don't like the word vulnerable. It makes you uncomfortable. Some of you are like, now, okay, what kind of vulnerability are we talking about here? And what sort of safety are we talking about here? And so whatever those questions are, whatever those sort of like, you're, you're feeling the pushback, I want to ask you to be willing to kind of suspend that. And for the next 30 minutes, as we, we look at some scripture together, we look at the way that Jesus lived his life and what he is calling us to, I just want to ask you to ask the Lord, what do you have for me today? What is it that you want to say to me today? Is there some space in my life, in my thinking, in my actions, where Spirit of God, you want to challenge me? So if those feelings are there, I get it. I feel it too. I don't love the word vulnerability. In my mind, it makes me think like, you want me to cry in front of people, okay? And I hate doing that. I don't love the idea of vulnerability. And yet, what is it that we see that Christ has done for us? And what is it that Christ is calling us into? So before we even get into it, I just want to acknowledge that there's probably some tension in some of our minds or our guts. And I want to ask you to be willing to just kind of like loosen, loosen up a little bit and say, okay, God, what do you have for me this morning? So with that in mind, let's pray. And then we're going to go right to scripture. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for movement, church. Thank you for the way that you have worked in this space specifically, in the Hilliard YMCA gym, for the truth that has been communicated, for hearts that have been challenged and changed, for prayers that have been answered here in this space, God. Thanks that your spirit is here with us today. But God, we invite your presence. We invite your presence, and by that I, I just mean like we're acknowledging that we want to be open to you. We want to hear from you today. So God, whatever is not from you, I ask that it would just fall away, fall on deaf ears and be forgotten. But God, I, I pray that the truth of what your kingdom is and what it means to be a member of your kingdom, God, I pray that that truth would ring loud and clear, that we would be transformed a bit more this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, right off the bat, some of you are thinking like kingdom doesn't mean a whole lot to me other than I watched the coronation yesterday and lots of it was like super weird and confusing. Um, some of you have watched probably a few royal weddings even though you're acting like you haven't or you have been wa binge watched like the entire series of The Crown even, and the whole way through you're Googling things like, did that actually really happen? No, okay, that's just me. Um, so maybe our knowledge of kingdoms is kind of thin because we live in a country that doesn't have a kingdom. We live in a country where we vote and we choose. We don't have this idea of a sovereign family or a sovereign ruler. In fact, that makes us feel weird. It's a strange thing to assume that there's a family that is sovereignly chosen to rule a country. And so then, with that in mind, then as we begin to talk about God's kingdom, we don't have a good framework to consider it. What, what is a kingdom? What are we even talking about? And why should we talk about it? Well, from the very beginning, I just before we even get into any of our points, I want us to see something that Jesus says. This comes from Matthew chapter 6. We're just going to look at it briefly, so we'll put it on the screen. Um, Jesus, when his disciples come to him and they say, teach us how to pray. This is what Jesus says. And likely these words are very familiar to you. We have coined it the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I want us to understand that this idea of God's kingdom is something that we must take seriously because when Jesus teaches his friends and followers how to pray, it's the very first thing that he tells them that they're supposed to pray for. May your kingdom come soon, God. Okay, so the kingdom matters, but what is kingdom come? When we say that, what do we mean? When we say, may your kingdom come, what are we talking about? I want us to go to the book of Luke chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. If you're using one of the Bibles that are under your chairs around you, it's page 617. Page 617. We're going to talk about what is the kingdom. What does it mean that the kingdom, we're supposed to invite the kingdom to come? So we're going to read a few verses here out of Luke chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 14. It says this. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then, they began to, then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? 
Okay, so let's set the stage for what's happening here. This is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry here on earth. If you look back into Luke chapter 3, in the beginning of Luke chapter 4, you'll find that Jesus has just entered the scene as an adult. He's been baptized. He's gone into the wilderness and has been tempted for 40 days. And now, as this section tells us, he's come back to like the land that he kind of grew up in, and he's been doing some teaching in the synagogues, which is just the Jewish place of gathering for worship. But these verses that we just read are the first recorded teaching of Jesus. And what he says, he reads these verses from the book of Isaiah. They come from chapter 61. And these verses were well known to be an announcement that the Messiah was coming. The Jewish people have been waiting for a Messiah to come for centuries. The Messiah, in their minds, in their studying, in their understanding of who God is and how God relates to them as the Jewish people, the Messiah's job is to bring God's kingdom here to earth. So Jesus stands up and he reads these verses. So it's giving us some insight into what the kingdom of God is. And if you notice, the kingdom of God is all about the vulnerable people. I have come to set the captives free. I have come to proclaim good news to the poor. I have come to set loose the prisoners, to give sight to the blind. That's why I have come. It's all about the vulnerable. And Jesus then says, he's rolling it up. You know, I imagine him being like kind of casual about this. He's like rolling the scroll up and he hands it to the guy. And he says like, "Um, today, this is happening. And then he sits back down. Almost like it's an afterthought. But what he's saying is, I'm the guy. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. It's me. I'm here. And the immediate reaction of the crowd is to be amazed. They look at each other and go, what? It's happening. We have been waiting. We have been waiting and waiting and waiting. And today, it's happening. And it's happening here in our little town. This is incredible. The Jewish people are thrilled about this because if you know anything about Jewish history, you know that they have spent centuries as vulnerable people. They have been oppressed. They have been imprisoned. They have been treated badly over and over and over and over again. And at the moment of this event, they're currently living under the oppression of the Roman Empire and they were not like warm and fuzzy people. So they hear Jesus say, I'm here to fulfill this. And they go, thank you, God. God is here for the vulnerable. God has always cared about the vulnerable. Now, if Jesus had a PR guy, the PR guy would have said, like, make your exit now. The people love you. They're like, they're going to say really good things about you. The news is going to spread. This is fabulous. But Jesus doesn't do that. Okay, let's see what happens next. (laughs) Things go sideways really fast. Um, We're going to pick it up in verse 25. He says this, certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah wasn't sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. 
And when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him, forced him to the edge of a hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. Now, I don't, that very last sentence, I think, is, like, fabulous. And I don't know if Jesus does, like, a Jedi trick, you know, like, where he, like, goes invisible and, like, disappears. Or, like, I, it's not clear, okay? I like to think that that's what happened. But notice why, why the shift happens. People get this text wrong sometimes. They say, see, the people that Jesus grew up with, they didn't like the fact that he was saying that he was the Messiah. No, that's not true. We saw it. They were amazed. They were so excited. They looked at each other and said, didn't we know his dad? This is crazy. But the, the attitude, the momentum shifts because Jesus, as Jesus so often does, he doesn't leave well enough alone. He says, yes, yes, the kingdom of God is for the vulnerable, but let's remember who the vulnerable are. It's not just you, my friends. Let's think back into our history. Let's think back to the time of the famine. Who did God send to provide food to? Not a Jewish widow, a Gentile widow. Ah, let's think back to the time when leprosy was running rampant through the land. Who did God provide healing to? Not a Jewish leper, a Gentile leper. The Jewish people are very open and excited to the idea that the kingdom of God is coming for the vulnerable. But not those vulnerable people. We're only open to this idea if the vulnerable includes us, our team, our tribe. The people who look like us, sound like us, talk like us, have experienced what we have experienced. But as soon as you say that the vulnerable are some of those people over there, no, okay, no. I'm not comfortable with that. The kingdom of God has always been about making people safe. But not just one particular sliver of people. The kingdom of God is about making all people safe. And from the beginning, that has made human beings uncomfortable. This is not the only time we see this. We're going to see a few chapters later, and we're just going to look at this briefly, so I'll put the verses on the, the screen for you. In Luke chapter 9, the same thing is happening. It says this, as the time drew near for him, that is Jesus, to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of him to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? Mm -hmm. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Okay, now, I was a teacher for 10 years, and so I know that feeling where, like, you feel like you've just been, like, knocking it out of the park as a teacher, and it's like the last week of school, and a student says something where you realize, like, they've learned literally zero things in my class all year. Like, zero things. They've learned literally nothing. And I, I, anytime I would feel that way, I would think, like, Jesus had some moments like that, right? Like, at this point, we're getting close to the end of Jesus' life here on earth, okay? He has set his eyes on Jerusalem. He's going there to die, 
And on his way, he's going to cross through the area of Samaria. Now, um, Galilee, where Jesus grew up, is in the north. Jerusalem is in a region called Judea, which is in the south. And Samaria is right in the middle. And you probably know that the Jewish people and the Samaritan people have very bad relationship with each other. There's racial tension. There's religious tension. They, like, they do not get along. In fact, most Jewish people wouldn't cross through Samaria. They would add time to their trip by going out and around. They would actually cross over a river, go south outside of the land of Samaria, and then cross back in to get to Judea in the south. But Jesus, he doesn't care. He's like, what, these Samaritan people? And you probably can think of some stories, right, where Jesus engages Samaritan people, where he treats them as equals. So that's what's happening here, okay? Jesus is like, I'm going to go through Samaria. This is great. But the tension between the Jews and the Samaritans goes both ways. So the Samaritans look at Jesus and they go, no, I'm sorry, man. You can't cross through here? On your way to Ju Judea? No, sorry. You can't use our neighborhood as a shortcut. And so James and John, two of Jesus' closest friends and disciples, people who have been sitting in the front row of his class for three years, they go, Jesus, you want us to torch the place? We'll do it. We'll do it. I think we can. And I just imagine Jesus going like, oh, why am I bothering with these people? No, that's not what I want you to do. Have you been listening at all? The kingdom of God is for the vulnerable. And the kingdom of God is about making people safe. Even people that make you mad. So no, we're not going to blow the place up. Thank you very much. We will just continue on our way. And Jesus understands that this is a bizarre way to live, okay? We see this acknowledged, actually, what, right before he dies. He's speaking to Pilate, who is the Roman governor. We see this recorded in John chapter 18. Pilate is speaking to Jesus, and Pilate says this, your own people and their leading priests brought you to me for a trial. Why? What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. Now, interestingly enough, we've seen that his followers have been trying to do that, and Jesus keeps saying, like, knock it off. My kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so you're a king. Jesus responded, you say that I'm a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize what I say is true. Now, I wanted us to take just a moment to notice that passage. Because some of you are like, yeah, kingdom of God, about the vulnerable. This is great. I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And some of you are thinking, like, this is, like, that's a nice idea. You can't actually live that way. You can't actually live in a way where you're not, like, looking out for your own safety. You can't. Have you watched the news? The world is very dangerous. This is unreasonable. You're asking us to do an unreasonable thing. And, and I'm not trying to flatten out those thoughts, and I'm not trying to say there's no nuance to this, okay? I'm not saying, like, drive around without your seatbelt on, because who cares about being safe, okay? Like, let's not be crazy, but I do want us to notice that Jesus himself acknowledges this kind of kingdom, it's not from the world. So we shouldn't be surprised when we consider these ideas and we go, this feels very difficult to me. 
and I don't see anyone living this way. Yeah, because it's a different kind of kingdom. God's kingdom has always been about making people safe. And I want to acknowledge maybe one other sort of like um, discomfort that some of us are feeling. Because some of us are feeling like, I believe that God wants to make people safe. I believe that. I believe that God cares about the vulnerable. I believe that. But where is the kingdom? Where is it? Jesus, he makes it clear when he's on earth that he's bringing the kingdom to us. He, he makes that very clear in the things that he's teaching. I'm bringing the kingdom. I'm bringing the kingdom. Pray for more of the kingdom. I'm bringing the kingdom. But if the kingdom of God is about making vulnerable people safe, yeah, watch the news. Every day in our country, there's another mass shooting that takes place. Vulnerable people don't seem very safe. Where is the kingdom? How do I come to terms with the fact that the kingdom doesn't actually feel like it's here? That feels overwhelming to me. Theologians like to use this phrase that the kingdom of God is already, but not yet. The kingdom of God has already been established here, but it's not yet fully here. We actually see that this is referenced in several places in Scripture. I'll just show you two verses that come from the same chapter in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says this. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. The kingdom of God is already here in your life. It's happening but just a few verses before that, we saw this. But the kingdom of God is also not yet. In chapter 5, verse 4, the author says, while we live in these earthly bodies, we groan, we sigh. It's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. The new has come but I'm still stuck with this old. I'm in this weird tension. A French theologian described it this way. Uh, his name was Oscar Coleman, and he says, living in the kingdom of God right now is like we live in the space between D-Day and V-E Day. Now, in case you don't know what those things are and you're just nodding your head because you're trying to pretend like you know what they are, let me describe it to you. At the end of World War II, D-Day occurred on June 6, 1944. This is the day when Allied troops come into the beaches of Normandy and they fight this decisive battle. It was effectively the end of the war. After D-Day, everybody knows Hitler is going down. It's over. D-Day decided the end of the war, but D-Day didn't, didn't declare the end of the war. VE Day is Victory in Europe Day, and that didn't occur for another 11 months. 11 months where battles are still being fought, people are still dying. There are still moments where the Nazi forces seem to be like, oh, they're gaining some ground here, they won that one. Even though everybody knows Hitler is going down. The outcome of the war has already been decided, but the victory has not yet been declared. That is where we live, my friends. V 
the outcome of the world has already been decided. Jesus decided it when he died and resurrected. But his victory has not yet been made final. We live in this space in the already and the not, the already but the not yet. And so we feel this tension. This tension where we look at these verses that say like the kingdom of God is about making vulnerable, vulnerable people safe. And we say, I hear what you're saying, but I'm not experiencing that in my life. I don't feel it. And what I would say to you, my friends, followers of Jesus, is that what we are called to do is to be actively bringing the kingdom of God here more and more and more. To go back to our World War II example, what we would not have wanted is for the Allied forces after D-Day to go like, yeah, we're good. Let's just all go home. I think probably it's fine now, right? No, we, we needed them to stay on the battlefield because while D-Day de decided the victory, there were still more battles to be fought. Peace had to be brought into the land. That's why the soldiers stayed on the battlefield. And my friends, that is you and me. We are here to continue to bring the kingdom of God more and more fully into the world. What does that mean? We see the kingdom of God described for us in the Sermon on the Mount. And you can read it on your own. It's Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. But for the sake of time, I want to highlight some things that come out of the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, what we see is over and over again, Jesus is saying, you want to keep yourself safe, but I'm asking you to make yourself vulnerable. And here's how that happens. First of all, our thoughts. We want to think of our thoughts as our own. I can think what I want. That's not hurting anybody. I can have any ideas in my mind that I want. That's not hurting anybody. And yet what we see in the Sermon on the Mount, in the sections where Jesus talks about murder and where Jesus talks about sexual impropriety, he says two things. He says your actions aren't the only problem. What also matters is the way that you're thinking about other people. If you're carrying thoughts of hatred, you, it's the same as having killed that person. If you're carrying sexual thoughts in your mind, it's the, same as have had, have, it's the same as having committed a sexual sin with that person. Your thoughts are not your own. In God's kingdom, what it means to make ourselves vulnerable is to acknowledge my thoughts should be elevating other people. Now, that's not comfortable for us. Because it means we have to be willing to think a different kind of way about people. We have to be willing to give people the benefit of the doubt. It means we have to be willing to extend forgiveness to people. We have to be willing to say, maybe the way that I think about you is not actually the right way to think about you. And that's hard. And it's confusing and it's complicated. But in God's kingdom, my thoughts aren't mine. My thoughts should be elevating other people. We see that Jesus then moves on to talk about this idea of taking an oath. Now, if you've read the Sermon on the Mount, you probably skip over that section because it's weird, okay? Like, don't take an earth by heaven or by heaven's footstool or something, something. Just say yes or no, okay? And we're like, okay. And then we just keep reading, okay? But here's what I believe is happening there. Jesus is talking about our reputations. 
my reputation, I want it to be my own. So I will say what I need to say to create a reputation that benefits me. So if sitting in this meeting with you, I need to say, yeah, of course, of course we can do that. Yes, absolutely, we can do that and we can do that. Yes, we'll get all those things done. But in my head, I know like, we're not gonna do any of that stuff. I'm just saying this to you because I want you to think that I'm a particular type of worker or that my company is a particular type of company. Or I get on my socials and I am posting all of these things, all of these things that portray me in a particular sort of way so that you will have certain kind of thoughts about me. The issue in this text about oaths is Jesus is saying, you only do what you say you're going to do. You only live authentically or with integrity if you have bound yourselves to some crazy, I swear by the throne of God sort of statement. Don't be those people. Do what you say you're going to do. Live a life that is authentic. And so often the reason that we don't do what we say we're going to do, the reason that we make promises that we have no intention of keeping is that we're concerned about how am I building my reputation in front of you? What are you gonna think about me? What benefits me the most in this moment? What should I say? How should I act? It's not authentic to who I am. I'm just trying to create a certain persona in your mind. And Jesus says, stop doing that. Be a person of integrity and authenticity. And then lastly, and I'm going to tie these two together. These two are the two that probably, for those of us who have grown up in the United States, we're going to hate these the most, okay? So I'm just going to acknowledge it. You're going to hate it. I'm sorry, you're going to hate it. These are my rights, and this is my money. These are my rights. We see this at the end of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is talking about, um, and, and these verses, like I think about these all the time, and I, like, I hate them, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you, I hate them. Like I know you're not supposed to say that about things that Jesus says, but like I, I hate it, okay? Jesus says, if someone hits you in the face, let them hit you on the other side. Jesus says, if someone says, I demand that you carry all of my stuff with me for one mile, you say, would you like me to go two miles? Jesus says, don't just love your friends, love your enemies. Ugh. I hate it. Because what's hardwired in me, I think as a human being, but then it's, it's been reinforced because I've grown up in American culture is that we live in a country and a culture that says you have rights. You have rights as an individual. And if someone crosses those rights, you fight back or you sue them. That's what you do. Like this is the world in which we live. And again, I understand that there's nuance to some of this conversation, okay? But by and large, if when you hear Jesus says, I want you to lay down your rights, if your first reaction is like, <laughs> okay, no, well, Jesus must be speaking metaphorically. If that's your first reaction, then I would encourage you to say, God, what are you trying to tell me? Because we get defensive when there are spaces that the Spirit of God is pushing on that we don't want to change. So if your defenses are immediately up, no, 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 no. I'm not laying down my rights. Get out of here. 
I simply would ask you to ask God's spirit, what are you saying to me this morning? Because if we call Jesus our king, and if you're his follower, that's what you do. You call him your king. Jesus laid down all of his rights for us. Jesus didn't fight back for us. Jesus laid down his right to be worshipped and honored as the creator and king of the world to live in a human body to suffer and to die for us. If he is going to lay down his rights, then I must ask myself the question, in what ways am I supposed to use my rights to elevate other people? And tied right into that is my money. Much of Matthew chapter 6 is about Jesus talking about how we handle our money. He's saying, don't worry about your money. And some of us read that and we go like, oh yeah, he's talking to people who are poor. Because they're worried, they don't know where their next meal is going to come from. But actually, I think maybe he's talking to people who have. Because our tendency is to say, I'm taking care of myself. That's wise living. I'm protecting myself. I'm keeping myself safe. And Jesus says, why are you so obsessed about your money? Don't you know that I'm the one that takes care of people? Don't you know that I'm the one that provides for others? My money and my rights aren't mine. I'm supposed to be using these things to elevate other people. Because in the kingdom of God, I am called, I should choose to make myself vulnerable so that other people are safe. Because that's what God did for us. We were vulnerable. And God made us safe. Thank God he did. So let's not be like James and John, where Jesus wants to press the kingdom of God into new spaces, and we go like, mm, you want us to burn them up instead? Jesus is like, no, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't. That's not what I want. I want you to be willing to make yourself vulnerable, to put yourself in vulnerable spaces, to do things that people from the world would say, that is foolish. Why would you do that? So what does this mean? As we conclude this morning, what does this mean? How do we do this? How do you make yourself vulnerable so that other people are safe? Well, if it comes to your thoughts, okay, your thoughts and your reputation, let's start there. Some of us, we need to be willing to say, I need to intentionally try to think about people from a different perspective. I have a caricature in my mind of this particular group of people or this particular group of people or this particular group of people. Maybe you associate them with the color red or the color blue, okay? Maybe. And if that's the case, your thoughts aren't your own in the way that you think about others. In what ways can you begin to expose yourself to a different way of thinking, to invite God to shape the way that you think about the people around you? If reputation is the issue, in what ways do you need to become a person who is a person of integrity? Stop just saying what people want to hear. 
Say what you mean. Sometimes people aren't going to like it, and sometimes people aren't going to like you. It doesn't mean be a jerk. It means have integrity. But I really want us to settle in here at the very last one, and then we're going to close. What does it mean to lay down my rights and my money? There's one super practical way that I want to invite you to consider this. Movement Church partners with an organization called My Village Ministries. If you've been around, you've heard about it before. My Village Ministries is an organization that provides temporary care for children if their family needs help. We have two host families here at Movement Church. People who are willing to say, if these kids need a home for a few days, a few weeks, I will, they can come and stay with us. And some of you are hearing that and go like, oh, I can't do that. Do you know how much that would complicate my life? And we don't know who these people are or where they're coming from. We don't know what sort of family they're coming from. And my question to you would be, are you willing to make yourselves vulnerable so that other people can be safe? Because the kingdom of God is not just for you. It's for the other. Will you make yourself vulnerable so that others can be safe? So there is a QR code on the screen. And what I want to ask is if you have any interest in this at all, at being a host family, at being part of the community team, which means maybe the kids don't live in your home with you for a few days, but you're willing to provide support to people who, who are keeping those kids, to bring a meal, to babysit for an evening. If you have any interest in finding out more about this, will you scan this QR code right now? Will you be willing to consider, at least to ask the question, what does it mean for me to make myself vulnerable so that other people can be safe? Because men and women, the kingdom of God is not just for you. There are vulnerable people all around us. And instead of keeping ourselves safe and cozy in our boxes, with our doors locked and our garage doors down, how can we welcome other people in I'm gonna pray for us. And let me just ask you to close your eyes as we pray. I wanna ask you to consider, what does God have for you? Maybe it's not My Village Ministries. I think it might be for some of you. Maybe it's not. How does God want you to make yourself vulnerable? Take just a moment to ask that question. Jesus, thank you that you were willing to make yourself vulnerable so that I could be safe. That you were willing to make yourself vulnerable so that there would be safe spaces for us as people in your kingdom. And God, I want to ask now that your spirit would move in this room, in our hearts. That you would prompt us. God, I ask that you would prompt people in this room right now to sign up for my village ministries. Spirit of God, will you just like make us unsettled until we're willing to acknowledge that you're doing something in us. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you want the kingdom of God to be a safe space for all. I ask that you would give us the courage to join you in the work that you're doing. In Jesus' name.
Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.